but it would be unthinkable that we'll have a culture that values human beings all throughout life. Well, the purpose of this walk was to raise money for this strategic outreach, and um, well done, Evangelical Free Church. Once again, we finished first among the churches of Orville. But we know ultimately that it is for a higher cause than whether we're first or second or whatever, it's that Christ would be proclaimed, that lives would be saved, mothers would be ministered to. Many years ago, the Douglas Aircraft Company was competing with the Boeing Company to sell Eastern Airlines its first big jets. President of the company of Eastern Airlines at the time was by a man by the name of Eddie Rickenbacker, who was a World War I and World War II hero, and he had given specifications for how this plane was to be built. And he informed Donald Douglas that their specifications and claims for the DC-8 were close to what Boeing could offer on everything except noise suppression. So Rickenbacker then gave Douglas company one last chance to outpromise Boeing on this feature. And after consulting with his team of engineers, the president of Douglas reported that he didn't feel he could make the promise. And Rickenbacker replied, I know you can't. I just wanted to see if you are still honest. People pay attention to the words we use. They evaluate the words that we use and they evaluate them in light of the character that we portray and the actions that we take. And they find that the closer that our words and actions and character are together, the greater our level of integrity. But the contrary is true as well. The greater the distance between our words and our actions and our character, the less integrity that we have. As Christ called his people to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he makes it clear that it is vitally important how we use words, what we pledge to do, what we commit ourselves to being involved in, because integrity is an important characteristic for the Christian. And it is something that all of us need to grow in. All of us need the help and the mercy of Christ to go on towards maturity in this area. Well, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, we're in chapter 5. And Jesus is in the middle of giving six examples of how the law is to be properly interpreted and understood so that it points to him in contrast to the common understanding of the people of his day. Thus far, Jesus has spoken of anger, which he says is the root cause of murder. He has talked about lust, which is the root cause of all sexual sin and adultery. And in each case, Jesus is dealing with the issue of the heart. Today, he will look at the use of words, especially in the taking of oaths, the swearing that we will do something and carrying out some plan of action. And once again, he gives the true meaning and the true intention of the law. But we find as we move further and further through this sermon the more difficult the teachings of Jesus become. And that's his intention. The only way that our righteousness can surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees is if it's not our righteousness at all. 
that we come to the end of our own efforts and struggles and recognize that it is only the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness that he brings, that he provides, that he gives, that allows us to understand and live out the principles of the law. Well, with that as an introduction, I invite you to stand as we continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and our reading today will come from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. And the inspired and authoritative word of God says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath on your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And as God the Holy Spirit has given us this word as a gift for the edification of his people, let us receive it for its intended purpose as we study it together. Please be seated. As he has already done, Jesus is pointing beyond the outward behavior to the attitude that leads to it. We've already said he pointed the relationship between anger and murder, between lust and adultery. Now he points to oath-telling and truth-telling. And like with other teachings, he's going to point out how the Pharisees, with their traditions and over time, had tried to make keeping the law easier to the point where, in the efforts of the flesh, it could be kept. But Jesus will reverse it and show that it actually is harder and, in fact, impossible in the flesh. And so with that as our introduction, let's get to our first major point, the background of oaths. Now at this time, let me give a greeting to those who are joining us online. Thank you for being with us this morning. We look forward to the time when you can return and be with us. But with your copy of God's Word open before you, let's study Matthew 5 together. As we have seen in the, in the several weeks leading up to this point, the Sermon on the Mount teaches God's intended way of living in light of the kingdom of heaven which is the new covenant. This is the new life that is intended for those who are born again of the Spirit of God and teaches the believer what this kingdom life is to look like. And like the discussion that he gave on divorce, where he said, yes, provisions were made because of the reality of divorce, but would not be necessary if people lived according to God's ways, so Jesus will say that the rules of oath-giving would not be necessary if people lived in the ways that God commanded. So let's begin with what's in the word. Again, you have, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So here Jesus is beginning to address the ideas of oaths and promises and the responsibilities in our use of words. But first, a couple of questions. What is an oath? What does oath-taking mean? What kind of oaths is Jesus referring to here? Does he ban all types of oaths in the end, or is he referring to something deeper and more important? Generally speaking, in the Bible, to swear an oath is to make a solemn declaration that something is true, usually stated in the name of God. And there are actually teachings on oaths found in five different books of the Old Testament. You see them listed on the screen and behind me. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Zechariah. And we'll actually look at some of those verses as we move through our sermon this morning. 
the very nature of oaths is that normally they were not required, but they were taken voluntarily by someone to do something. But once they were taken, they would be required and kept and followed. And even if the circumstances changed that made the keeping of the oath more difficult, they were required to be kept. You gave your word, you keep your word. You made a promise, you fulfill the promise. And throughout the scriptures, we see positive and negative examples of oaths. David and Jonathan and the display of great friendship made oaths to one another. Oaths were given by the Apostle Paul, even by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we'll see later, God himself made several oaths. Those are positive examples, but we see negative examples as well. King Herod made an oath that he would give up the half his kingdom because a dancer pleased him. And that oath cost John the Baptist his life. Jephthah made an oath that he would sacrifice whatever came out of his house. And it led to the death of his only daughter. Peter even denied Jesus with an oath and curses and later would shed bitter tears of remorse and regret. So the general use and idea around oaths all throughout the scriptures is simply do not swear falsely. Do not bear false witness. Do not lie. And over the centuries, though, the, the Jews, they had modified this idea to say, well, if you say something to the Lord, you're bound to it. But not necessarily if you make a commitment to a person. And this was simply a way of trying to evade keeping the commandments to not bear false witness. And is that a distinction then that should be associated among the people of God today? Am I only committed in saying to the Lord, I will do it, and then I'm to do it, but if I give it to a person, I'm not committed to doing it? Jesus answers that with a resounding no. He teaches that the Christian life is to be lived out in such a way before the world that they will see the difference that the gospel makes in our lives. Because Jesus knows that ultimately we live life, all of life, in those quiet moments and unknown moments and those public moments and known moments, Ultimately, all is lived before an audience of one. And it is the eyes of the Lord that are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and the good. But Jesus is going to emphasize that we are to be people who keep our word and keep our promise. And so we may ask the question, you gave your word? Over the centuries since Moses was given the law. The Jews had added layer upon layer of understanding to their practices of oaths, like they had done with everything else. You recall when we began in the Sermon on the Mount, the problem was the law was very clear, but they would add layer upon layer around the law so that they could try to figure out how to keep it. And Jesus, when he came, didn't violate any of the human understandings of the law, but pierced through all of them to get to the heart of the law. But as they added, the Jews added more and more, it, they became more and more legalistic and less and less gracious in their understanding. They didn't understand that in general principles, lawmaking leads to lawbreaking. And that's what Paul himself says as he confesses his own struggle with sin. It's when he became aware of the law that he was tempted and he began to sin more and more. So with the words that Jesus says here, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Jesus will now give the fourth of six examples of his true understanding of the law and how it contrasts with the customs and traditional understandings of the law. 
He's going to give the deeper, the proper, the true understanding, the true intention of the law, which will ultimately be fulfilled in him, in his character, and in his ministry. Well, is there a direct commandment that Jesus is referring to here? I mean, we do have statements like, you shall not swear falsely, but do we have a statement that clearly says, do not take an oath? Well, I think what Jesus is doing here is he is summarizing, as I made reference to the fact that five books of the Old Testament talk about oaths, I think he's summarizing the teachings of the law. And we're going to look at those verses very quickly in Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord, name of the Lord of your God. I am the Lord. Excuse me. Numbers 30, verse 2, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Then we get to Deuteronomy. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Or the psalmist in Psalm 50, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Lastly, in Zechariah, do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath, for all these things I hate declares the Lord. What's the general idea here is what passes from your lips you must keep because you're making a vow and you need to show integrity in your words and your actions and your character. There's to be great care taken in the taking of oaths. In fact, if you realize you weren't going to keep the oath, don't make one. But if you do, you are bound to keep it. So what were the risks involved then in taking oaths? Well, you could violate the third commandment, which says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You You could violate the ninth commandment, which says, don't bear false witness. And if you're not careful and you follow some of the cultural customs of the day, saying things like, I swear upon my mother's grave, you would violate the second commandment, which is to have no idol or graven image or anything else other than the name of the Lord your God in which you put your trust. And so it would seem then that the teaching was very clear. So why was it then that the Jews were still looking for ways to use oaths to their advantage, including those times when they would not be kept? As I've said, if they made an oath in the name of God, they would keep it. It was was to be serious and followed. If it was made in the name of anything else, it was not required by the law. And so if a person wasn't really serious, he would look for reasons of evasion Maybe swearing in the name of a created thing, a heaven or earth or something else. And because he didn't mention the name of God, he thought it was a get out of an oath free card. The problem is, of course, is Jesus is going to say this is just playing games because ultimately it's the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. What is going on in your heart, what is going on in your mind when you take an oath? Because for him, it is wrong and improper to promise something and not to do it. So we may find similar situations today, and we know that the surrounding culture certainly does not encourage us in this area. It is a trivial thing to just break your promise, to break your word. We see it happen all the time. 
And even in that temptation to bear false witness, we may give the idea that we know more than we actually do on a particular subject. And social media certainly encourages that kind of behavior where everyone wants to present himself or herself as an expert on just about every issue or I have a guy or I know someone and they go outside of their lane of their actual knowledge. I think Jesus will make an appeal to wisdom here. Wise is the person who realizes that not every thought and opinion needs to be expressed. And equally wise is the person who realizes that just because he has an opinion, someone else is not obligated to listen to it. The overall idea here going on in Matthew 5 is that these disciples, the ones that he has commanded to follow him, who are to walk in his ways and live in kingdom living, are to obey his instructions and live in such a way that there's never called into question the contradiction because it's not there between his words, his actions, and his character. If you give your word, you keep your word because we're people of the word and a God who keeps his. So there's some of the background for oath. Well, what would be some of the bad basis for oath? Yes, basis is the plural for basis. So we're not talking about baseball here. We're talking about reasons, bad reasons for oaths. Jesus came as the embodiment of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He ascended to heaven, and with God the Father, he sent the spirit of truth who would indwell his people and teach them the word of truth because he is the author of this book who has given us the word of truth. So identified with the one who is the truth, having the spirit of truth indwelling within us, who has given us the word of truth, we should of all people be the people of truth, which means we keep our word. So let's not hide. Let's be upfront with keeping our word. Let's not be like what we see in the days of Jesus where they tried to hide behind creation instead of the creator. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter of the people of his day trying to circumvent the oaths that they have taken, trying to figure out wiggle room how they can get out. And he's not going to give them that wiggle room. He's going to take on four different types of oaths that they were using, but he will find them all unacceptable. Now, when we, get, when we move later on into the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is going to bring up the idea of oaths again and how to properly use our words and live out according to them. But first he says, do not swear by heaven. And when we understand that for the Jewish mind, they didn't want to mention the name of God. So they would often hide behind either a title or naming something else. And so heaven was used to stand in the place of God. It's actually one of the reasons why when we get to the Gospel of Luke, we hear a lot of talk about the kingdom of God. But when we're in the book of Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven. Matthew understands his audience. He's trying to show them the gospel and who Christ is and that he's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so Jesus goes on and says, look, you can't hide behind using something from creation because heaven is where I dwell. Heaven is where I reign. Heaven is where my presence is. And where my presence is, there is holiness. Therefore, don't use that as an escape card. Keep your word. Secondly, he says, do not swear by the earth, for it is his footstool. God reigns over the earth. 
And in fact, the language of the footstool of God is tied up in the idea of worship. Look at what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? In the context of worship, he's saying that I'm to be worshipped even on the earth. What can you possibly build for me? Don't hide behind saying the earth so you don't keep your word before me. We would do well to pay attention to Psalm 24, which says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Our God is everywhere, reigns over all, and there's nowhere that we can escape from his reach or his aid, keeping our word before him. Because in fact, every word we utter, every action we take, everything that we think, every impulse in our heart is happening in his presence. So let's reflect his character then as he continues to operate the effects of the new birth in our own hearts. Then he will strike down a third way that they want to hide behind their oaths where they would say, Jerusalem, don't swear by Jerusalem. These are things that are a little bit foreign to us. We don't necessarily understand how they think they could use this chess game to try to outfox God. But Jesus very quickly will knock those chess pieces over. He says, don't swear by Jerusalem. And he's re- he'll remind them, don't you know what Jerusalem is? Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Psalm 48 is pulsating with messianic promises and messianic overtones. So Jesus tells his audience, don't think that you can invoke the name of the Lord and get anything from him if you don't keep your word. If you make a promise, keep it. If you take an oath, fulfill it. If you say you're going to do something, follow through. God is in control. God is over all. We can't hide behind something inferior to God since he's everywhere at all times. But the other side of it is, If we are walking in fellowship with our God, in communion with his spirit, in obedience to his word, we can joyfully give our word that we will do this and this and this because we know that God is working in us because he wants us to serve him. He wants us to help others. He wants us to preach the gospel. He wants us to be people of the word. But everything is done in his power. Creation, not creation, but rather in the creator. Secondly, Not only do we not swear by creation, but we're not to swear by your life instead of the life giver. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, we might say, well, Jesus, I got one up on you because I can drive down to CVS and I can buy this little hair polish and I can change the color of my hair. Of course, we know that's not what Jesus is referring to. And you have no control over your life. And we think of the statements of the scriptures that say, in him we live and move and have our being. The psalmist says that he holds our very next breath in his hand. So when we say something like, I take an oath on my life, and we promise that I will give my life if I do not keep it, that is an inappropriate oath to take. Because how can I swear on my own life that I do not own and over which I have so little control? But rather I am to take the oath in the name of the one who gives me life 
moment by moment by moment. He sets the parameters of my life in whom I live and move and have my being. And in Christ, who is my life, I then can obey him and do as Jesus commanded. For a man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. That we will find that it is his word and his word alone that gives us breath. Friends, let us be those who are so enamored with Christ, so in awe of his majesty, and so in reverent fear of his holy word that we would just bow before him and say, yes, Lord, your will, not mine. Yes, Lord, your word, not mine. Yes, Lord, your way, not mine. We don't want bad basis for oaths. We want a grounding in the character and the word of God. But thirdly, Jesus calls us to back up your oath. So when we hear these contemporary teachings of Jesus as he's teaching the people of his day, we might be tempted to conclude that Jesus is therefore forbidding all types of oaths. Now he is certainly forbidding oaths in the way that the Jewish people of his day practiced. But we believe in tota scriptura. We believe in all of the scriptures. And so we need to look at the full counsel of God on any subject to know how it is that we are to act. And when we do that, when we look at the fullness of Scripture, we see that the Apostle Paul took oaths at several times in his ministry. When the gospel was at stake, when the promotion of the gospel was at stake, he took oaths. Jesus himself, under oath, proclaimed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, who would come on the clouds of heaven. But the good news is, the good news for us today and will be the good news forever, is that God himself took oaths on many occasions. In fact, all of the covenants that God entered into had him giving an oath that he would provide for his people, take care of his people, guide his people, save his people, preserve his people. And so all three members of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, entered into a covenant that we call the New Covenant, where they would redeem a people, place their spirit, place the spirit of God within them, and write the law of God on their hearts. And as they took those oaths, we have assurance that we are secure in Christ. We have the hope that God will keep his word. We never need to doubt again because God gave his word and he will keep his word. So why did God give oaths? Well, he did not give an oath because there was something that was lacking in him. He gave oaths because there was something lacking in us. So that we would not doubt his promises, so that we would not lose confidence in him. He gave these oaths and he said, who am I in my character, in my words, and in my actions? Am I trustworthy? I take an oath on my name. And because he takes an oath on his name, and we know he is consistent in his character, his words, and his actions, we can trust him. In fact, we can stake our eternal destiny on him. Have you done that this morning? Are you trusting in Christ alone, the promised Messiah from the Father, to deliver you, to preserve you, and to bring you into his presence one day? I pray that all within the sound of my voice this morning would not have a moment's doubt, but would say, oh God, even me, have mercy, a sinner, that I might turn to you and that you might forgive me and give me assurance that you will keep your word. 
as Jesus calls us to back up our oath. He says, just keep your word. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So let's think a bit more about this statement. Jesus has already said several verses before that we are to be salt and light. We are to have a saving and redeeming and purifying impact on the culture. In order for us to do that, we need to actively engage with the culture. As we actively engage with the culture, not only are we called to be lights of the world, but as Paul says, we are to be lights shining in the darkness of a twisted and perverse generation. But in times of engaging as lights in the midst of a perverse and twisted generation, we may be called upon to take oaths. And we can do that knowing that we are respecting the social and public order and the authorities that God himself has put over us. And so if we're called to testify in court, we can take an oath that we will testify truthfully. If we ever find ourselves in the position of running for some type of public office, we can take an oath that we will fulfill the duties of the office. There are times when we apply for applications or for permits or for licenses. We have to affirm that the information that we have given is true and accurate. That is a form of oath-taking. Sometimes oaths are needed to simply ensure that people will live among each other in a common community of accountability and integrity. When we take an oath, we remember that ultimately it is the governments that God has put into place before whom we take an oath. Therefore, we can take an oath because we're ultimately before God, our audience of one. But what Jesus would be getting at is live in such a life that it wouldn't be necessary to take an oath. Because you will live and speak and act and interact in such a way that there will be a consistency and an integrity of your life. By the power of God, as he imparts his spirit in us and as he gives us his word, we can be a people of the truth who will live and reflect that, that truth in our behavior, in our words. As Jesus said, let your words be simply yes or no. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Of course, as we use the whole counsel of God, we recognize that we are to use grace and wisdom and love and patience and courage as we speak the truth in love and as we point people to Christ. But in all things, ultimately is about the one to whom we are to point all people. Are we honoring our Lord in our words, in our actions, in our behavior? And as we do that under his guidance and in his power, we will fulfill the commandments to not bear false witness, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to keep the oaths that we enter into. There's a certain call to simplicity here. We tell the truth and we live the truth. The Germans have a proverb that says, lies have short legs. You get the idea. Lies don't get you very far. And also telling lies doesn't give you any peace. Because as you're lying on your bed at night, you've got to think about, now what did I say here and what did I say there? And I've got to figure out how to cover my tracks here and how to cover my tracks there. But if you're just consistent in how you live and act, you don't have that angst. You can sleep at peace. There should be integrity and wholeness where we are truth tellers 
because we are truth livers, and that leads to integrity and wholeness in our lives. Pastor Chuck Swindoll shares the following story that shows that that's not always obvious. He writes, several years ago in Long Beach, California, a man went into a fried chicken place and brought a couple of chicken dinners for himself and his date one afternoon. The young woman at the counter made a big mistake. Instead of giving him his chicken dinners, gave him the proceeds for the day in a, ba- in a paper bag. Well, after driving to their picnic site, the couple sat down to open their meal and to enjoy some chicken. And to their great surprise, they discovered a whole lot more than two chicken dinners, over $800. But this was an unusual man. He quickly put the money back in his bag. They got back in the car. They drove all the way back to the restaurant when they found a manager who was frantically running about the store trying to figure out where the money had gone. The man who Swindoll refers to as Mr. Clean goes up to the manager and says, I want you to know that I came by to get a couple of chicken dinners and wound up with all this money. Here you go. The manager was thrilled and said, oh, let me call the newspaper. I'm going to put your picture and you're going to be a hero. You're the most honest man I've ever met. To which the man quickly grabbed him and pulled him aside and said, don't do that. He leans in and says, you see, the woman I'm with is not my wife. She's somebody else's wife. When your yes is yes and your no is no, there's simplicity in life. You can keep your word. But when you get things tangled up, you can affect all things in your life. Live in such a way that it's obvious that we are set apart in our manner of life. Now to do that, we have to have Christ. Christ modeled this before us. He was the ultimate one who was set apart, who fulfilled all righteousness, fulfilled all law, all sacrifice. But now, if we're in Christ, he indwells in us through his spirit to empower us, to guide us, and to walk before us. So that not only we can obey his laws, we want to obey his laws. Because he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And because we have fallen in love with Jesus, we want to do what he says. And then lastly, he says, avoid evil or avoid the evil one. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, I think a better translation of this verse, in fact, is avoid the evil one. The Greek translation is tuponero, which is often translated as the evil one. There is an evil one with which we do business and have to combat and have to resist and have to call him out. And who is he? Well, the Lord Jesus makes it clear in John chapter 8. He said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. This evil one that we are to avoid is a liar, always. A murderer, always. A deceiver, always. Who seeks to do harm, always. And who comes and whispers, Did God really say? And try to cause us to doubt the clear teachings of God. So think about what Jesus is saying here. Both in Matthew chapter 5 and in John chapter 8. Saying if you misuse words, if you misuse promises and quotes and oaths and are trying to advance your own agenda. In your own ways you're actually acting more like the devil than you are like the Lord. 
Because everything that we do and everything we say and every promise we make is in the presence of God. James, the brother of our Lord, understood this teaching well. In fact, as you read through the book of James, you feel like you're reading an ongoing commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. So many are the cross-references from one to the other. But in chapter 5 of his book, James says, But above all else, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James knows that if we are born again, he talks about the word of truth implanted in us, and if we're born again, it will affect our actions, our words, our behavior, our conduct, our very life. As one commentator looks at Matthew chapter 5, he said this, To be under the rule of God is to be absolutely trustworthy and transparently honest. To depart from this is to fall under the influence of the evil one. Friends, we confirm that God is not only truthful, but he is faithful. And as we are called to be imitators of God, we are to become more and more the same, truthful and faithful, so that we're living out the newness of life that we have received in Christ. Live in such a way that it would not be necessary to take an oath, but when you do, because the law may require it, there's no reason for worrying about discrepancies between the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you live. We know that what shows up on the lips, as Jesus has said many times, and which we saw in the law reading earlier, what shows up on the lips reflects the heart. And so any good society, marriage, family, relationships, church, requires truth and trust and faithfulness in keeping our word. If you want your pithy saying for the day, here it is. Trust is a must or the relationship is a bust. As we consider what Jesus is saying here, you do well to consider the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 141. He said this, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and that we not eat of their delicacies. We are a new creation in Christ. But we are not yet all that we will be. And so we need to continue to grow and to fight for righteousness and to speak the truth in love and to be men and women of our word in our character and in our actions. And in all of that, we are dependent upon grace so that we will be gracious in our interactions with one another. We're dependent upon truth so that we are truthful with those around us as we are truth tellers, truth speakers, and truth livers. When we continue next time in our Sermon on the Mount, we're going to move into now how do we deal with those difficult folks in our lives. And you can go ahead and read ahead. Jesus has some more challenging things for us to say. But what are some lessons that we can draw from today's lesson as we prepare for that next time? Well, first, because God's word is dependable in him, may others find us dependable in our own words. Number two, because God took oaths to affirm his promises. If called to give an oath, we will tell the truth and bear witness to his truth. We will be truth tellers all throughout our lives. Thirdly, because everything belongs to God, our testimony and trust will be in his truth and not in anything that comes from us. Fourthly, 
because God is consistent in his character in all things. We trust in his power to be consistent in our own words and actions and behaviors and attitudes. And lastly, because God is a great redeemer, we will trust him to give us light, wisdom, and truth and use them in his ways and his power and for his glory. As we are called to be salt and light, a large part of that is our use of words and how we live before others. Therefore, we are dependent upon him as we go out to speak, as we go out to live, as we go out to proclaim our great and wonderful God. May he help us all. Let's pray.